Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, uh, if you would, turn with me to the book of Hebrews as we continue in our study of this book. We're turning today to chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 7 to the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Hebrews 3. And verse 7, again, welcome uh, to those of you who are visiting with us. We're glad that you uh, could be with us. And uh, we have been studying for the past uh, several months uh, the book of Hebrews. And want to pray, and then we'll read together. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word as your word and pray that your spirit who inspired the word, now also would apply it to our lives, that we would be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we might look to your Son, that we might love him, uh, that we might own him as our Savior and walk in his ways. Pray that this would help those who are young in the faith to grow and mature, to those who are mature in the faith, that they'd be given solid food to eat, would not look up and go hungry, those who may not know you yet, Lord, that they would come to understand you better uh, from this message today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Listen now to the Word of God. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Amen. Now, the author of Hebrews, you'll remember from a few weeks ago, is trying to help the people of God, many of whom, if not all of whom in this letter, were Hebraic Christians. 
Remember that the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts often would begin in the synagogue and would often bring many who were Jews uh, to Christ, faith in Jesus as Messiah, and then they would often branch out and begin, you'd see more and more Gentiles being added to the church. Now, it seems, if you read between the lines from this letter, that there, however, is a concern that many of these Hebraic Christians are thinking about defecting back into the Old Covenant again. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to show them the supremacy and the excellency of Jesus Christ, among other things. And we are being uh, pastorally helped today uh, by these verses in three parts uh, with regard to this warning that we not go backwards. Number one, the author of Hebrews in verses 7 through 11 warns us, admonishes us, not to resist the Holy Spirit as the children of Israel did in the wilderness. Number one, verses 7 through 11, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Number two, the second thing we want to learn from today's lesson is that we need to watch our own heart. Verse 12, watch your heart, verse 12. And then number three is coming from verse 13, that we encourage one another. This will help us persevere in the way we should be going and help prevent defections. So number one, again, verses 7 through 11, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Number two, watch your own heart, verse 12. And then finally, number 13, or excuse me, verse 13, number three, encourage one another. So those are our three main points from our text today. So we are seeing here that the author is urging these Christians to continue to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he warns them and us uh, with a warning that you would find in Psalm 95. If you look at verses 7 through 11, if you have a Bible that footnotes, you'll notice that there is a string of quotations coming from the end of Psalm 95. Now, we read this morning the beginning of Psalm 95 as our call to worship. It's a psalm where we are called to worship God. But that psalm also has a warning in the second half. And the warning is that we need to be careful how we receive the word of God because we do not want to find ourselves resisting the spirit of God. And as the children of Israel did in the Old Covenant when they were in the wilderness. Now let's look at some of these verses together. And then I want to make some applications from this first point. Remember again, the first point here is that we are warned, do not resist the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 7, you'll note that the author of Hebrews mentions the third person of the Trinity. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says... And then he gives a quote, and the quote is coming from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Now, let's just stop there for a second, because there's something interesting, I think, that we need to hear ourselves. Notice that he says, do not, what? Harden, or excuse me, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, but he noticed that he says that this, First of all, before he gives that quotation from Psalm 95, he says what? The Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, says. Now, what is the significance and the point that I'm making there? The point is this, 
that as he is quoting an Old Testament psalm, he notes that the primary author is the Holy Spirit. And that when you read the Bible, when you and I hear the Bible read in church, boys and girls, when you hear the Word of God preached from the Bible, that, we have to remember, was inspired by God himself. We believe in what is known as plenary inspiration. What is plenary inspiration? It means that we believe here at Covenant Church that the Bible is inspired by God himself. And because it is inspired by God himself, it is the word of God in the plenary words of God. That this is not only the word of God collectively, but it is also the word of God in the words of God. That is the the very words of Psalm 95 that are being quoted here is the very words of God, which is the word of God by the Spirit. And then it is the Spirit who says here. He doesn't say David says here. Now he could have said David. David was often used as the one who penned these songs. These psalms were often penned by David. And he could have attributed it to David. But here he goes beyond who is the human author, to the divine authorship of God. And I want you to see that. And Jesus says the same thing. You and I need to have a high view of the Bible because Jesus has a high view of the Bible. Jesus said, thy word, speaking about the Bible, is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. He prays in John chapter 17. Jesus said that uh, the word cannot be broken. Jesus said that not a jot or a tittle. Now, if you want to know what a jot or a tittle is, you can take Hebrew if you want. And the the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is a yod. And the yod is like a hanging apostrophe in the air. It's a tiny little thing. An apostrophe, boys and girls, you know that showing possessive. I know this isn't an English lesson, but, you know, if you want to say, you know, uh, mom's, uh, what shall we say? Uh, Scissors, all right? These are mom's scissors. Uh, the, the little apostrophes, that little thing in the air that's possessive. Well, the yod is like that. And Jesus says, not the smallest little stroke is going gonna, is gonna to leave um, the word of God. Even, even the smallest parts of the Hebrew syntax and are a part of the word of God. And therefore... We need to listen carefully to the word when the word is read. Um, That's why some churches, I don't think you have to, but some churches, they stand for the reading of the word of God. That's what they did, for example, in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. If you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it says that they stood for the reading of the word of God because we're saying this isn't just any old book. This is not um, just some kind of authorship that is merely human. Uh, but this is, this is the very word of God, and therefore we want to receive it. So that means several things. As our catechism teaches that we are to receive it with faith, with love. Uh, we are to receive it as, as God using that to speak to us, that there is to be this dialogical process taking place in worship. We come to God and we offer our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And then what does God do? God speaks to his people through the preaching of the word, just as we are doing it right now. God 
is using this uh, word. He uses the word of God to help you become more like Christ, to grow in grace if you are already a Christian. He uses the word to bring people to Christ. You know, one of the best ways you can evangelize is just simply inviting people to church. One of the best ways you can evangelize your neighbors is asking them to come with you to church because God uses the preaching of the word, the reading of the word. The Spirit owns that word that he has inspired and then he applies that word to our lives. This is why many times we've all experienced this where we, we don't know what we're going to do with our discretionary time at night and we channel surf you know, on the television, or maybe we get on the internet, and it doesn't seem to satisfy, and you say, you know, maybe I'll read a Christian book, or maybe I'll read the Bible, and we read, and suddenly we feel refreshed in a way that that didn't happen with those other things, and, and, and we say, you know, how did that happen? How was it that I had to drag myself to church, but then I, I skipped like a calf going out home? It's because God used that to revitalize your soul, to bless your soul, to strengthen your inner man, and to give you nourishment, and to give you milk if you're a young Christian, to give you meat if you're a mature Christian. God owns his word. Now, what we are being told here is this, that we should take the word seriously, and therefore it means we need to be very careful when we come into public worship, when we're doing family worship at home, boys and girls, that we listen closely to what is being said because we want to be careful that we do not resist the Spirit. The Spirit uses the Word. But notice what the author of Hebrews says. He cites historically from Psalm 95 the lessons that can be learned by the children of Israel through the children of Israel in the wilderness. And you know the story. You youngest boys and girls, you know the story, don't you? What happened? The people of God were in Egypt and they were enslaved. God brings them through the Red Sea, doesn't he? And then he brings them into the wilderness. But were the children of Israel grateful to God? Did they listen to God? Did they follow Moses closely in all the things that God had commanded them to do through Moses' teaching and preaching? No, they didn't, did they? They disobeyed, and, and there are many things. We, we see that they made a golden calf, which was an idol, and they said, this is the Lord who brought you through the Red Sea, and that, of course, is a gross sin. They complained at the waters of Meribah and Massa. They, they doubted, not just doubted, but they, they actually got suspicious of God, that God had just brought them out into the wilderness to kill them there. Um. They didn't believe that the God who would save them from slavery and deliver them from their enemies chasing them behind in the Red Sea would also see to it that they get to the land of promise, as he said. They, they threatened to return to Egypt. They complained that they didn't have meat and, and leeks and onions like they had back in Egypt. Uh, they, they had other gods, we're told, um, that they carried with them the star of another god with them as they went through the wilderness. We know that they uh, sinned with the daughters of Moab. They committed fornication with the daughters of Moab. We know that there was the rebellion of the sons of Korah against Moses and Aaron's leadership. And then they, they didn't enter the land when God told them to go take the land. And they said, no, there are giants in the land, except for a couple people who were faithful. 
um, the, the, the rest of them didn't want to do it. And so God brought a judgment on them because of the hardness of their heart. He left them for 40 years in the wilderness of Egypt. And the application is here that this can happen, in a sense, in the New Covenant too. There are appropriate lessons for you and me in our Christian walk that we can learn from the negative example of the children of Israel in that first generation who were delivered. And the lesson is you and I need to be careful. They resisted the Holy Spirit. They resisted the gospel that was preached to them, even though it was preached in more shadowy terms and in types than it is clearly given to us. Nevertheless, they were resisting God himself as they resisted the word. You and I, as Christians, need to be careful that we do not find ourselves in a similar situation, finding ourselves fighting against God. Now, some people treat the Bible as some kind of academic exercise. For them, it's, it's a hobby, it's an interest, like music or cars or sports. But for the Christian, the Bible is far more than that. This is why some people can study religion and even get PhDs in religion and yet never really know Christ It's because they treat it as an academic subject. They treat it as a hobby, an interest. But we must be careful of the, the same temptations. What does the Bible say? The same temptations that were common among the children of Israel are common to us as well. We must be careful, therefore, about idolatry, false religion, making golden calves for ourselves, so to speak. Now, I know you may not be as crass as to put something in the oven and come out and then bow down to it, but nevertheless, there are lots of other gods and idols out there that are asking for you to make huge sacrifices in order to serve Him. And we are to resist that. We are to have no God but the true and the living God. Our life is to be identified in Jesus Christ and in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also need to exercise faith continually. We need to watch that we do not grumble and complain as the children of Israel who believed and had suspicions against God and His purposes for them. Who believed that that there was something sinister about God in God's providence. And we need to be careful. We need to avoid sexual immorality that is surrounding us in our culture today. The children of Israel didn't do that. Some were so brazen as to take a, a, a Moabite women and bring them into their tent in the plain view of other children of Israel. We too must be careful what we watch. There are a lot of new movies out. And some of these movies have terrible scenes that are sexually explicit. I was interested for a while in the movie about the atomic bomb that's come out until I read a review. And the, the, the repeated explicit sexual activity filmed in that movie. Um, we need to be careful that we don't go along with the culture in, in these things. You know, th these things will have a deadening effect if you're not careful. These kinds of things will have a deadening effect on your soul and your ability to 
receive the word of God as the word of God. You, you really want to know why so many young people, so many college students abandon the faith in college? I believe it's because of sexual immorality, because of fornication. Many times they get involved in fornication, and what it does is it creates moral confusion in their mind. And light becomes dark, and darkness becomes light. And they can no longer discern the truth. I've told you this story before, that there was a professor who, anytime a young person came into his office and said he was having trouble believing the Bible to be the Word of God, the first question the professor would ask him is, what's her name? And if, if you are trading in sin on the internet, or you're involved in, in physical relationships that you should not be in, involved in, that is going to hinder your ability to rightly receive the Spirit of God in the preaching of the Word. The first thing that you'll need to do, and it may take time for you to heal. I mean, but now, by God's grace, God does bring us to repentance over these things. Those who are His elect. And... And he will restore and, and those who trust in Christ. And he can heal, but it may also take some time to recalibrate. As one Puritan said, that um, the, the conscience is like the, the, the inner ear in a person. And if any of you have ever had inner ear problems, uh, you know what happens. Uh, the dizziness that comes, the instability that comes uh, when, you, when you have this problem. And, and that's what it's like morally for people. And, and the trouble is we're, we are surrounded by a Moab culture out there that is trying to entice us. You know, if, if Satan can't get you to bow down to an, another god, and if he can't, you know, destroy you. Remember, the first thing that the Moabites tried to do was use Baal, Balaam, remember, to, to curse Israel. Well, that didn't work. The cursings turned into blessings. So what did they do then? They sent their daughters in, into the camp, to try and sexually compromise the Israelites. And many of them succumbed to that. And, and that's what's going on in our culture here. We see also that the children of Israel were engaged in rebellion against uh, authority, Moses and Aaron in particular, the sons of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. You remember, you remember them? And how God had to open up the earth underneath their tents and swallow them up. How the fire had to come forth from the altar to burn up the sons of Korah who were holding this incense uh, before them saying, well, who are you, Aaron, to be offering these sacrifices? We're just as good as you. You, you know what that happened on? That happened on, If you look closely at the scriptures, that rebellion closely followed the discipline when they put the man to death for desecrating the Sabbath day. They stood up for church discipline, and a bunch of people in the church said, we don't like this. And so they rebelled. And, and you see that today, too. Churches that try to be faithful and loving and ministering discipline following Matthew 18. And many times, uh, there's backlash against it, no matter how lovingly you do it, no matter how humbly you try to do it, no matter how privately you try to make it and keep it. 
And we need to be recognizing that our culture is a rebellious culture. Uh, whether it be parental authority, whether it be the authority of elders, civil magistrates, um, this, this is a great sin. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. Uh, this is a commandment with a promise of long life. How many times do young people's lives get cut short because they live a life of rebellion? And so we need to be careful here. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Ask God to keep you humble before his word, to receive it as his word. You know, I remember one time, uh, this is a friend of mine, he was joking, but he, you know, I went uh, on one of my vacations many years ago and I went to a PCA church and the pastor there had said, come on in, pray with us and with the elders before church. And he introduced me, he said, now this brother of ours, he's from the OPC. And then he turned to me and said, now remember, you're here to worship, not to critique. <laughs> he knew the OPC reputation. <laughs> but... But he was right. You know, our job, we're not coming as, as critics like to a movie. We're, we're here to receive the, the word of God, to listen to the spirit of God in the word of God. And, and he's saying here, be careful. They tested me. They saw my works for 40 years. They saw the miracles. You know, they, they saw the miracle of the Red Sea. They saw the miracle uh, of the manna from heaven. And yet, they hardened their hearts. And so he swore in their wrath that they would not enter. You know, we have a lot of people, they'll, they'll say, how many times I wish God would speak to me? And, and they don't consider, well, why don't you read your Bible? Amen. Now, I'm not saying that, I don't want you to misunderstand me in case anybody here, I'm, I'm not saying the Bible is your personal Magic eight ball. Remember those back in the 70s and 80s? You know, you ask a question, you shake the magic eight ball, you see what the answer is. That's not how we use the Bible. I've had people tell me that. I had a woman once, she said, oh yeah, you know, I don't read my Bible often, but anytime I had a question, I, I would get my Bible off the shelf and I open it and always fall right on the very word I needed at that moment. Now, it may be that God was being gracious to her and God sometimes directs our attention to passages that we do need in the moment. But we're, we're not supposed to use the Bible that way as, a, as our personal magic eight ball. We're supposed to be students, Bereans of the Bible. We're supposed to be reading the Bible, meditating upon it day and night. And you say, well, I'm not a Christian pastor. Where do I start? Well, you, you can start, you know, anywhere. It's not wrong. Just, you know, there's, you really can't go wrong anywhere. But probably most people would tell you, I, I certainly affirm that. Start with the Gospels. Start with, with John or Matthew. Mark's the shortest Gospel. If you want to, you know, the fastest read, um, start with the Gospel of Mark. Maybe you could move on um, to some of the books in the Old Testament as well. The Psalms um, are cited 68 times in the New Testament. And then Isaiah and Deuteronomy and Genesis. If you want to know what are the most cited books in the Old Testament, Psalms, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, and Genesis um, are the top books cited there. That's how God speaks to us, uh, through his word. We're not supposed to listen for audible voices. We're not supposed to be looking for signs out there. Uh, 
But we are to be students of the word of God. This is the word. This is the light that has been given to us. Walk in the light. Uh, This is the, the light unto your path. This is the lamp unto your feet. It is the very word of God. I want to keep moving here. Secondly, in addition to not resisting the Holy Spirit, then look at verse 12. Watch your own heart. That's the second thing. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. And number two, watch your own heart. Now look at verse 12. The author of Hebrews says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So the exhortation is here to beware of our heart. Now this is, again, contrary to what you often hear in the culture. What does the culture often tell you? Follow your heart. (laughs) Follow your heart. Now, uh, there is a sense in which Ecclesiastes does say, to follow your heart, but behind it is the presupposition that you're following God and that God has your heart, okay? But here, our culture doesn't mean that. It means do what you want. But the problem is, Jeremiah chapter 17 says that there's a problem because we are fallen people. Our heart is fallen. The heart in Jeremiah 17 is full of wickedness and deceitfulness. Now, what happens is when a person comes to the Lord by faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, God, by His Spirit, works on that heart. In fact, you couldn't come to faith in Jesus Christ if God didn't first work in your heart. So the Spirit begins to work in your heart. But the problem is, for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we still have a fundamental problem. And that is, even though the dominion of that sin is broken in our heart. We're no longer controlled by sin. Our heart is no longer enslaved to sin. But the sin is not eradicated at the moment of conversion. And this is why you and I continue to need the grace that comes from the Scriptures so that our heart will grow in grace and that we will begin to follow the Lord and we can watch out for that remaining corruption. So, What the author of Hebrews is saying here when he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That is, take care. This is a pastoral warning. That as a Christian, you and I, we need to watch ourselves, examine ourselves, check our motives, check our attitude. Am I walking with the Lord? Or am I becoming hardened against the Lord? Am I drifting from God or am I drawing nearer to God? Am I loving God more or am I moving away from the Lord more? The the heart is deceitful and it does want to get out from under that easy yoke of Jesus. And we need to be careful that we do not drift away from God. Now notice here that they are writing this to people who are in church. This is not written to people who are outside the church. That means we must be careful because you can drift away from God even if you don't leave your pew. In fact, the Bible teaches that if we do not receive the word with faith, 
the word may be an instrument to harden your heart. If we continue in sin and then come to the Lord's table week after week, we may actually be making our spiritual condition worse than better. If we trade sin with the holy things of God, his word and his sacraments, God may use that as a judgment against us. That's why we warn ourselves when we come to the table that we watch ourselves. Make sure that you are in the faith. Take care lest you not drift away. Now, falling away from the Lord is a reality. And we must watch against it. This is a serious warning. We must be careful not to fall away. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, but wait a minute, Pastor. You say you're a Calvinist. How can you fall away from the Lord if you are truly born again of the Spirit of God? How do we understand a passage that tells us that for those to whom a good work has been started by God, he will complete it to the day of redemption, and at the same time be warned by a verse like this? How do you understand both of these? Well, first of all, they're not at odds with each other. Okay, Theologically, yes. Those who are truly born of the Spirit of God from above, they will indeed persevere to the end. Nevertheless, the God who sees to it that we make it to the end is the God who also sees that we persevere in the midst of the journey. And part of that means that as a father warns his children, the father here is warning us of a danger. And the danger is that we could drift away from God and show ourselves never to have really been a believer. The author of Hebrews is not saying if you're a true Christian, you can fall away and apostatize into hell. He's warning you, don't backslide, don't harden your heart, don't back away from God because you don't know. You're not God. And what you may think, and what I fear so many in our area presume is that, oh, well, pastor, I I don't know how many times I've heard this. I'm a Christian, but I'm backslidden. Well, the author of Hebrews has a different take on this. The author of Hebrews would say, you better be careful that you're not apostate. You don't know. These are real warnings from God that Christians need to heed. Now, I always want to be careful as a pastor here because in any given congregation, you, you have people who are truly saved and need assurance of that salvation, and you have people who are presuming they're saved and need to be brought out from that presumption. And particularly here in the South, where we have made it very easy to, quote-unquote, be a Christian. That you, you walked an aisle in 1978. You raised your hand at a youth camp meeting. You signed a card, and you're a Christian. And, and, and even though there's, there's no fruit, there's no communion with the church for years, there hasn't been, but they say, oh, but I'm a Christian. Um, we, we need to take this warning. In, in, it is so common in our region of this country to hear that phrase, and I bet 
many of you could finish this sentence for me. Once saved, always saved. Now, it is true in and of itself. Once saved, always saved. But it presumes that you are really saved. And the trouble is, is that the church has made it quite easy to, for people to think they're saved because they walked an aisle. But they've never been born again. If you've walked an aisle, you've walked an aisle. Now, many may have done so in faith to Christ, feeling that that's what they needed to do. But others, it's just some kind of Southern Baptist indulgence system. I paid my money. I got an indulgence from the Pope. I'm good. I walked an aisle. And I'm good. I can live like I want. You see, there's a, there's a lot of Protestantism that needs reformation. In many ways, we, we have reverted back to the days of Luther, before Luther. There, there is the, the Protestant equivalent of indulgences. Notice here that he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That's where he starts, the heart. He starts in the place that no one else can see. That's why the Bible says elsewhere, you need to search yourself. You need to examine yourself. How am I doing? How are you doing? Am I not doing great? Well, be honest about it. The Lord already knows. Are you, are you not doing great? Why are you not doing great? What are you going to do about it? Do you have a bad attitude? Have you allowed the, the love of the world to take too much of your affections, the love of money? Are you disaffected with the church? Are you disaffected with brethren? Have you lost your first love? Have you allowed false teaching, the doctrine of the Pharisees, to leaven into your life? Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples thought, what's he talking about, bread? No, he's talking about their doctrine, bad doctrine. Getting into your life. Are you you watching sexually explicit stuff? Are you indulging in too much alcohol? Have you fallen into prayerlessness? Is the Sabbath no longer a delight for you? Can you just can't wait till the Lord's day is over? So I can go back to doing what I want to do. Are, are you in, hanging out with bad company that is corrupting good morals? Do you have bitterness towards God? God's not answering my prayers the way I thought my life should go. And I'm bitter about it. You got a bad attitude before God? You need to repent. You need to say, God, forgive me of my bad attitude, please. As though God owed me something. And I'm not getting it the way I thought I should. Are you making increasingly peace with sin rather than killing sin in your life? The fear of man. Are you ashamed of the gospel among your friends, coworkers, neighbors? 
Are you not willing to embrace the reproaches of Christ? Moses said there was greater value in the reproaches of Christ than the court of Pharaoh. So we need to ask ourselves, how's my heart? Does my heart need an attitude adjustment? Do I need to do some soul searching in my life? Be careful, brethren, he says, that there not be within you an unbelieving heart. And then finally, that's kind of the negative exhortations there. But let's end with a third and a kind of more positive one. So it's not just negatively avoiding these things and and being aware of them. But notice then 13, he gives us a positive exhortation. He says, but encourage one another day after day. That is, that we as believers, we all need help. None of us is a lone ranger. And therefore, we need the church, we need fellow Christians to encourage us as they need us to encourage them. He says, encourage one another day after day. This is an ongoing thing that we can continue regularly to encourage each other as long as it is still today. As long as we're living in this present evil age, let's encourage each other as a church. Let's encourage each other to persevere. Let's encourage each other not to allow the deceitfulness of sin to cause us to abandon our gathering together, as is the habit of some. But today, while we are still in this fallen world, we need all the help that we can get. He says, encourage each other so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other. We need the church. You know, some people have faulted if there's any fault to be found and with Pilgrim's Progress. The fault might be that it seems as though Christian is often just by himself or maybe with one or two other people at most, when really... Uh, you know, Bunyan could have said he's walking with a whole congregation, a whole church with him to the celestial city. We have many, Jesus said, fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers in the church. These, Jesus said, pointing to the multitudes who were listening to the word of God, these, this is my family. This is the word of God given to them and they are a part of my body, of my family. They are here to encourage one another. And so how do we encourage one another at a practical level? Let me give you a few uh, examples before we close. Number one is through fellowship. Godly conversation, that holy hanging out time, as Nathan Trice likes to call it, after church. This is a great opportunity to encourage one another with a good word in due season. Now, there are occasions that, yes, we need to find out what's going on in the mundane things of our lives with one another. That's, that's often how we spend our time. But also, we can direct our conversation in such a way that it would be seasoned with salt, that our words would bring stimulation, blessing, encouragement to those who hear them, that they would be stirred up to fellowship with Christ. So fellowship and godly conversation. Number two, this is also important, and that is praying together in person. Um, One of the things that Richard Pratt recommended to us um, to do as a church when I first became pastor, he said that we 
need to pray with one another, and especially, he said, the elders with each other. That the elders pray with each other because this will really help you. There are going to be good times in the church and there are going to be bad times in any church. Uh, there are going to be green pastures and still waters sometimes, and there are going to be stormy seas and wind and waves at times. And one of the things that will help hold you together is that regular meeting together for prayer. And so let me encourage you. Uh, I know it's not the Lord's Day on Wednesday night, but let me encourage you, if you're not in the habit of coming and praying with us, that you do so. That uh, you come and join us here. You know, it's it's very simple service that we do for an hour here. We We sing together for about 30 minutes, and then as the kids go for their catechism lesson, we meet in here and we pray together. And we bear one another's burdens in prayer. We also make intercession for the needs of the world uh, in here. And I want to encourage you to, to do that. Sinclair Ferguson has said, there's no better way for you to get to know your missionaries than to pray for them and to hear their prayer requests and the letters that come and then to turn around and, and pray for them. So praying together, fellowshipping together, praying together. We can also encourage one another by bearing one another's burdens. That is through counsel and support. You know, uh, the, the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul says that, that you are sufficient to counsel one another, uh, to help one another. You know, you don't have to be a professional counselor to encourage people who are going through difficult times. Sometimes it's just being there and listening to them. Sometimes they don't need an answer so much as they need somebody to talk to. I've had people call me up and say, I just need to talk to somebody. I had a guy just a few weeks ago, not a member of this church, called me up. He said, can you meet with me? I just need somebody to talk to about this situation I'm facing here. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes just being there. You know, Job's friends would have done a whole lot better if they had just kept their mouth shut. <laughs> You know, if they had just shown up and listened uh, to Job and sympathized with him and prayed with him and for him, uh, they probably would have come out a lot better on the other end. But bearing one another's burdens, number four, <clears throat> uh, checking on one another. Checking on one another. You know, uh, how many times have we heard about people say, you know, um, I, I was in a church, I was in my old church, and, um, you know, I started going elsewhere, and, and nobody from that old church ever called me and said, hey, where are you? You know, we've, we've all probably heard something like that, right? Uh, where they, they decided to look around, and, and nobody even bothered. It was almost like a confirmation that they should go elsewhere. But, you know, don't leave it just to the pastor and the, and the elders. Now, we bear that responsibility first and foremost, and that is what it means to be pastoring uh, the people. But it's not just the job of the elders, but we should be checking on one another. And if somebody's been absent for a couple Sundays in a row, maybe to call them. We're not trying to be busybodies here and get in other people's business. People have vacations and things like that and weekends away. But, but uh, if you do notice that somebody's been absent for a few Sundays to check on them. And then finally helping one another in days of trial and distress, uh, helping each other. You know, all of us are going to have our day. 
Um, none of us are going to get through this world without having a lot of hard days. You know, what did Jacob say to Pharaoh? My days have been short and few and full of trouble. Um, and that is the common lot for us in a fallen world. And we need to encourage one another in those difficult times uh, just to keep going faithfully that we would not forsake the Lord 